0: This podcast brought to you by Hope 103.2. We are actually in our second morning looking at the book of Jeremiah, an Old Testament prophet from about 600 BC. We're focusing on the middle chapters. We've lifted out 26 to 33. This is where Jeremiah is predicting for God's people what is basically a valley. They're about to go into a valley that is, they're about to go down into exile. The Babylonians will come and take them off out of the promised land. And after 70 years, the Lord will bring them back in his mercy into the promised land. And we saw last week, if you hear that the people were not listening to Jeremiah. And so he says to them, well, you're not listening to the faithful servants. You will listen to my servant, king of Babylon. You will listen to Nebuchadnezzar. And God used, as we know, Uh, Nebuchadnezzar as an instrument to bring a message of discipline to his people. Now what we need to grasp as we think about these chapters together is that this is a kind of a microcosm of the whole Bible. If you were to read from Genesis to Revelation, and I hope some of you've done that, if you were to move from paradise right through to heaven, you would see that along the way there are two great voices, One which says, you need God or you will die. And the other one that says, you don't and you won't. The great lie of the Garden of Eden, remember, nothing really matters. There'll be no consequences. You won't die. Right in the face of what God has said. So God had said to uh, the first couple, if you go your own way, you will die. The devil turns around and says, You can go your own way and you won't die. Those are the two voices. Those are the two roads. Jeremiah, in a way, is echoing this divide. He's saying, You need the Lord your God. And the false prophets, and there are many of the false prophets, are basically saying, Nothing matters. If you run the history forward to Jesus, you've got exactly the same thing. Jesus coming into the world. And with great love and authority, saying to people, I'm crucial. I'm bread. I'm light. I'm resurrection. You need me. You need me. And the world is basically saying, as we know, we can do without you. We don't want you. In our own day, we face exactly the same divide. You know the difficulty of standing for the truth. The little book which is being recommended may be a help to you Maybe a help to your own confidence. It may be a help to somebody else's seeking. But here you are, wanting to say to the world, there's one Saviour, and there's 10,000 voices coming back saying we don't need Him. I was interested to discover that there was a debate planned in Oxford uh, a few years ago, October 2011. It was going to be between the Christian apologist, William Lane Craig, who's a very able American and the famous atheist Richard Dawkins. And just previously, Richard Dawkins and his team had arranged for posters to be put on the buses, which said, there's probably no God. Now stop worrying and enjoy your life. Uh, It turns out that late in the day of this particular debate, Richard Dawkins withdrew from the debate. So it never took place. And the Christians in Oxford put up large posters which said, there's probably no Dawkins, now stop worrying and enjoy your day, (laughs) which I thought was quite clever. There is the fork, there is the, the divide. And Jeremiah is very important historical information because he's echoing the message which runs right through history that there is truth and there are lies We're also going to see, as we look at this chapter quite briefly this morning, that uh, there is a help to making the right decision. In other words, as we've said a thousand times, faith is not a leap into the dark. It's a step into the light. It's a logical, sensible step in face of evidence. And I remind you also, as we get into this, that a lot hangs on this. If a person pays no attention to the word of God, it looks in the short term as though all is well. But actually, they have compromised their soul. They will find themselves ineffective in the world in terms of God's purposes. They'll have very confusing values to pass on to their children. There'll be a very distorted home life. And finally, of course, they plunge into eternal darkness. The person who pays close attention to the truth of God is given wisdom for the present. They have to make some costly but vital decisions. They can be useful in God's service. They have promises that sustain them when life is difficult and they plunge into great and wonderful light. So I want to summarize the chapter so you know where we're going. It starts off in verses 1 to 6 with God calling Jeremiah to warn the people. This is what I've called a fair and kind warning. Verses 7 to 11, the people attack Jeremiah, and I've called this a foolish and misguided reaction. Verses 12 to 15, Jeremiah faces the government officials who come running to make a court case to make sure justice is done, and in this court case, Jeremiah gives a fearless and impressive defense. And finally, in the last verses, which we didn't read this morning, they decide that they will not kill Jeremiah, but protect him. And I've called this a faithful and a good outcome. And I say again, in the middle of these verses, there are some clues as to how to assess a voice or a messenger. Uh, One of the questions that uh, Lee Strobel deals with in his book, question number two, is do you have any practical ideas on finding spiritual answers? Lee Strobel says, one, make this the front burner issue. This is the most important issue that you're dealing with. Second, follow the evidence where it leads. Third, when the evidence is in, reach a verdict. It's very good, very practical. So verses one to six of chapter 26 of Jeremiah, a fair and kind warning. Uh, Because God seeks the welfare of people, verse two, he's asking Jeremiah to stand in the temple. That's the place where pretty well everybody would eventually turn up. And Jeremiah is to say all the truth to all the people. You can't have anything fairer than that, can you? Say everything to everybody. I wish I could spend some time this morning telling you how many half-truths are being peddled in the name of God and how many quarter-truths. I think I may have told you once that when I was running Christianity Explained, and I was tempted, as we all are, to just rush over the subject of hell. And one of the men, one of the visiting men, put his hand up and he said, sorry, could you just unpack that? You just explain hell for us? and so I very tentatively started to say what the Bible says about hell. By the time I'd finished after a few minutes, the group around the table were basically saying, well, now we understand. Now you've made it clear. We don't actually serve people well, do we, by hiding the unpalatable things. And uh, Jeremiah stands in the temple and he tells the people all the truth. The desire of God, verse 3, is that perhaps they'll listen and turn and there'll be no disaster. This is a lovely verse. You can hear the Lord, as it were, he's not naive. It's not as though he doesn't know what's about to happen, but he says, this is my desire that people would turn and there would be no disaster. And then comes the warning in verse four. But if you don't turn, the temple will be like Shiloh and the city will become a joke around the world. Now, Shiloh was the holy place, 30 kilometers north of Jerusalem where the tent and the ark were kept in the days of the judges. But it was destroyed, Shiloh, by the Philistines. Psalm 78 says God abandoned the place. It became proverbial for judgment. And so for Jeremiah to stand in the temple and say, this temple will be like Shiloh, and the city will become proverbial nonsense, humiliation, Uh, That was basically to speak a blasphemy or to be ridiculous. Except that we know this morning, don't we, that the temple and the city provide no salvation whatsoever. And those people who had put their confidence in their building or their city as if they were the saviors made a huge mistake. The only saviour is God himself. So is Jeremiah being offensive or kind when he stands up in the temple to say this? Well, of course he's being kind. He's representing a God who loves people. Like Ezekiel 18, I have no desire, says the Lord, in the death of anyone, turn and live. How wonderful to know that behind the universe is a God who wants people to live, not die, and makes every possible provision for people to live and not die. And I don't need to tell you that if your mind runs ahead to the cross of Christ, which we're going to celebrate in a few minutes, there is the greatest provision of all to keep a person from dying. People who warn against danger are people who love people. People who dislike warnings either don't see the danger or they are too concerned for their own safety. That's, of course, why we take hell seriously, because Jesus knew and saw very clearly and spoke of hell very often. Now, if you were in Jeremiah's day, walking to the temple, he stands up and says, unless you turn back to God, this temple will be like rubble, and the city will be like rubble as well. Why should you listen? I mean, nothing is happening. It's just talk. And if he says it on the Monday and the Tuesday and the Wednesday and the next week and the next month and the next year and nothing happens, why should you listen to Jeremiah? Well, there are some clues in verses four to six. Uh, the first clue is that he says, I'm speaking in the name of God. That should be checked. Second, he says, I'm speaking in line with the law. This is not an invention. And the third thing he says, my grief, my concern is that you'll die. Those three things, I think, are great helps in working out a voice or a messenger. By which authority does he speak or she speak? Is this in line with the word of God? What are they concerned about? Do they care about us? Those are three good reasons for listening. And if you put it into an ABC, you've got the authority, the Bible, and the compassion. So verse twenty, chapter 26, verse 4, this is what the Lord says. I'm not just giving you my opinion, says Jeremiah. I'm claiming the authority of the Lord. Well, they should at that point say, okay, we'll test it. Verse 4, If you don't follow God's law, says Jeremiah, so I'm not creating just brand new ideas, I'm pointing you back to the word of God. This, of course, is annoying when we do this to people, say, what I'm saying is based on the word of God, but you have to agree that if there is a good God in the universe, and he's going to be fair to the world, that he will say things which will be testable, objective, open to everybody, fair and plain. And that's what God has done in the scriptures. You may know that your friends are never going to take seriously your claim that what you're saying to them is based on the Bible, but at least it's not a personal opinion. And the third thing in verses five to six is that Jeremiah says there is a disaster looming and I wouldn't warn you if nothing was round the corner. I'm concerned for you. I'm concerned with God's compassion. That's a good test for a prophet. Now, don't mishear me. I'm not saying that if somebody comes to your door, who's a Jehovah's witness and says, "I speak for God, here's the Bible, I'm concerned for you," you immediately say, "Great, you're speaking the truth." But the claim to speak in God's name is worth listening to. The Bible is to be checked carefully, and the genuine concern or compassion is to be taken uh, is to be taken seriously as well. That's, That's what we see in these first few verses, a fair and a kind warning. Now the second, verses 7 to 11, is that there is a very foolish and misguided reaction. You'll notice that Jeremiah is attacked and threatened with death by the priests, the prophets, and the people. This is religious opposition, often the most fanatical and bitter of all. Their argument in verses 8 to 9 is that we object to you saying that Shiloh is our lot and the city will be rubble. We object to you saying this, therefore you must die. You notice what they're saying? They're saying, we want to kill you because you're saying this and you shouldn't be saying this. They don't ask the question, is it true? They just ask the question, is it appropriate? Why are you spoiling our day? This is like your doctor looking at you with great wisdom and care and saying, you'll need some surgery, this will be constructive, this will be helpful, and you turn back to your doctor and you say, why are you upsetting me? When the doctor is speaking quite wisely, and compassionately. Exactly the same argument when the officials come running up, verses 10 and 11, the officials come running because they want to provide some justice and make sure that there isn't a complete um, mayhem, and the priests and the prophets say Jeremiah should die. And you know why he should die? Because he spoke against the city. So their argument is taste, not truth. Do I need to tell you friends this morning that a huge amount of assessment of things is being made on taste, not truth? Uh, One man has described the atheist philosophy today as there is no God and I hate him. (laughs) Taste. It's an emotion. Don Carson says in his book, The Intolerance of Tolerance, once upon a time people said, let's work out what's true and make the adjustments necessary. Now people say, let's work out what's me and everything else can adjust. The new test for many in the church is not what did God's word say to us this morning, but did I enjoy myself? Once you make taste the test, you lead yourself into very great danger. It's truth that we must keep measuring. So these people in chapter 26, verse 7 to 11, they don't ask, is this a message with authority? They simply say, is it nice? They don't say, is there a biblical record which stands behind him? They say, this sounds like personal opinion. They don't ask, is it possible that he's concerned for us and represents a God who's concerned for us? They simply say, tell us that everything's fine. And they do what many people do today, which is they don't attack the message or deal with the message, they attack the messenger. So that's the the foolish uh, response. The third thing this morning is verses 12 to 15, where Jeremiah stands up quickly and gives a fearless and impressive defense. If you want a picture into the greatness of Jeremiah, if you have ever had any doubts about whether Jeremiah was a great and brave man, 26, 12 to 15 is your key. It's a brilliant short speech. He says, first of all, verse 12, the Lord sent me hear me very carefully, the Lord sent me. My authority is the Lord God. He doesn't step back. He doesn't change his message. He just repeats, the Lord has sent me. You've got to work this out. Second verse 13, he expects them to change because he says, reform your ways and obey the Lord, your God. In other words, you know the truth, you know the covenant you know the scriptures, you know who he is, go back to the the biblical expectations. And the third thing he says in verse 13 is, my aim is your rescue. I speak as one who has compassion and concern for you from God. You've got an opportunity to avoid disaster and that's what God is concerned for. You cannot have a fairer message. You can't have a fairer message. And then in verse 14, he's very courageous. He says, I'm not concerned about myself. This is not a personal issue. If you want to kill me, well, you do what's good and right. But he says, if you do kill me, you'll be shedding innocent blood because the Lord has sent me. You see what the the people are trying to do? They're trying to control the courtroom and make themselves as the key to the case. And Jeremiah is saying, no, 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 God is the key to the courtroom. It's his authority, it's his Bible, and it's his compassion. That's the ABC. Well, this is a great defense. I think it is a little preview of what would come later in the person of Jesus, when Jesus would set out his case in the world And again, you remember Jesus was unaffected by human safety, personal safety, but he was committed to the welfare of his listeners. So Jeremiah is claiming authority outside himself. You remember Jesus came and said, this is not my word, this is the father who sent me. And then said Jesus, I myself say to you. So he got great authority, Jesus, and he proves his authority in every area of life by speaking to sickness and speaking to sin and speaking to the storm and speaking to the spirits and speaking even to dead people. He proves his authority. We see Jeremiah is very conscious of the Old Testament Bible, just the books of the Old Testament, which lay behind the time of Jeremiah, probably the Pentateuch. And here is Jesus fulfilling the Old Testament Bible completely and launching the New Testament Bible and teaching people that heaven and earth will pass away, but his words will never pass away. And then we see Jeremiah, of course, wonderfully concerned for people, not concerned for himself, who could outdo this but Jesus, who goes beyond anything Jeremiah could imagine. And he's not just willing to die, as we know, but is willing to consume or to swallow the sting of millions who deserve to die. So there's nobody more worthy to listen to than Jesus. He's got all the credentials. He's got the authority. He's got Bible behind him and in front of him. And he's got the compassion, which goes beyond anybody in this world. There's nobody more caring or concerned than Jesus. And therefore he has a right to be listened to. Well, the last thing which we didn't read this morning is that there's a faithful and a good outcome. In verses 16 to 24, the officials decide that they will protect Jeremiah. And you'll notice if you read the text carefully that the people have swung over to be pro Jeremiah as well. The people are very fickle. And therefore, a decision is being made. We're going to go with God's word. And I think if you look at the text, the ABC is being followed. Verse 16 He should not be killed because he's spoken in the name of the Lord our God. He speaks with authority. I presume they're not saying this just because Jeremiah stands up and says, I'm saying this in the name of the Lord. I presume they recognize that as he speaks, he speaks with the authority that is in line with the God of the Bible. So they see the authority. Verse 17 and 18, some elders suddenly leap to their feet, elders who know their Bibles, and they quote Micah. Micah who had warned the king Hezekiah 80 years before and Hezekiah had listened to Micah and the elders basically leaped to their feet as you see if you look at verse um, 17 and 18 and they say Micah prophesied in the days of Hezekiah he told all the people of Judah this is what the Lord Almighty says Jerusalem will be plowed like a field. Jerusalem will become a heap of rubble. The temple, a mound overgrown with thickets. He said exactly the same thing. And verse 19, Hezekiah listened. He sought the favor of the Lord. The Lord relented and did not bring the disaster on the people. So Hezekiah, you see, is a model king who is being set up as an example for the present. And then in verse 19, they recognize God's great concern, which is that no disaster would come. Well, friends, can you stay with this? Can you just keep these threads together in your head? What's actually happening here in this chapter? It's very, very relevant to the 21st century. Here is a lesson for the current leadership based on previous leadership because the previous king hezekiah had been a wise man hearing the word of god and deciding to obey it the present king jehoiakim is a fool we know he's a fool because in verses 20 to 23 we're told that he was face to face with the prophet and hunted him down and killed him so he stands in the tradition of all those down the history who have basically said the word of god is nothing if we were to keep going in the book of Jeremiah and we came to chapter 36, we'd come to the incident where Jehoiakim the king is sitting in his lounge room and the word of God is brought to him and somebody reads at Jehoiakim and as a section of the scroll is read to the king, he gets his penknife and he cuts off the section of the scroll and he throws it into the fire. And he becomes a, a, an example of absolute arrogant stupidity. The great foolishness of thinking that that will destroy the word of God. It's quickly replaced and Jehoiakim is quite quickly destroyed. So do you see that there is a divide going on here in Jeremiah 26, even among the kings, good king, bad king? There are priests who are not listening. There are people who are starting to listen. There are some who are echoing the voice in the garden, nothing matters. You will not die. There are some who are listening to the Word of God and recognizing that His Word is crucial. And so, what we learn from this chapter as I come to an end this morning is that there is one who runs the universe who is at work to say and to do what will save people. And this is a crucial decision that every person has to make how to respond to the Word of God. To respond to the Word of God will be life to ignore it will be death. And if you respond to the word of God, of course, it will lead you to Christ, who is the way, the truth and the life. Now some of you this morning may be thinking to yourself, you know, I really need at this particular time, a word of authority and certainty. I'm full of doubts. God is the God of authority. God is the God of comfort. God is the God of truth and wisdom. And therefore, take seriously the God of the Bible. There may be some of you this morning you are really needing a word of wisdom for decisions. Such is the Scripture to give you the principles by which you can walk safely and make responsible decisions. Some of you may be needing a word of compassion, something just just fitting for your situation. Such is God's concern that He speaks the thing that needs to be said and he does the thing that needs to be done. In fact, as we know, he goes beyond talk. He goes into deed. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how shall he not along with him graciously give us all things? The God who gave his son, you see, the God of authority, the God of Bible, the God of compassion, who gave up his own son, is interested in the small details of life. And that's why we will do well to walk in the way of the Word of God as best we can and to help those who at the present are on a different and dark road. Let's pray, let's bow our heads. Our loving Father, we thank you this morning for this very timely chapter. We thank you that there is one in yourself who speaks most compassionately and clearly. We know that in our own hearts that we are rebellious and we live in a rebellious world. We thank you for bringing so many of us here this morning to hear and to heed the word of Christ. We pray you will continue to help us to stand on the promises, to obey the commands and to bring your word to a very dark and needy world. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.